listening to the HR Mixtape, your podcast with the perfect mix of practical advice, thought-provoking interviews, and stories that just hit different so that work doesn't have to feel, well, like work. Now, your host, Sherry Simpson. Joining me today is Jeff Harry. Jeff has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into the day-to-day. He's an international speaker who has presented at conferences such as Inbound, South by Southwest, and Australia's Pause Fest, showing audiences how major issues in the workplace can be solved by using play. His play work has been featured in the New York Times, Mashable, Upworthy, Shondaland, and Wired. Jeff believes that while we spend most of our time pretending to be important, serious grown-ups, it's when we let go of that facade and play that the real magic happens. Fully embracing your own nerdy genius, whatever that is, gives you the power to make a difference and change lives. Hey, Jeff, thanks for jumping on with me today. I'm so excited to be here. Let's do this. So if you're watching this episode, you can see that I'm recording from an official sound booth today. Um, so Jeff and I were just chatting about that because usually I'm in my home office doing this. Yeah, I love this. It, it reminds me of the quietest room in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd be curious if anybody has actually gone into that quietest room in the world. If you you have, hit us up. I want to hear all about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, your background is fantastic, but but it really centers in play. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you boast that play can kind of solve workplace issues. And I'd love to, let, let's just start there. Why do you think that? Why do you think play can solve workplace issues? Yeah. So I was speaking to a friend of mine recently about this and she was helping me with like my framework of like who I am. Right. And we came up with the term of what I do is like playful healing um, because I do a lot of work around healing workplaces. So whether that's dealing with toxicity in the workplace or dealing with difficult conversations in the workplace or just being more creative and like addressing your inner critic. And if you think of play in the workplace, most innovation, if not all innovation and creativity comes from play, right? Most organizations started as play, right? When, you know, a surge and, you know, his colleague were trying to figure out Google, they were like, can we connect the world through a search engine, right? Even, uh, Bezos back in 98 was like, can I sell books online? Or people forget that's how it started. So people forget that our greatest inventions, the Wright brothers were playing and failing miserably (laughs) in order to create what we now fly on on a regular basis, right? You know, um, Dyson, the guy that created the Dyson vacuum cleaner, I recently looked this up, he failed 5,194 times in his basement making that vacuum cleaner. Like, he counted it. And the whole time, he was propped up by his wife who was was on a teacher salary, you know? So this was five, six years of him doing this. And now, like, you know, they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think a lot of times we dismiss play, but that is where so much of the psychological safety is. That's where you actually take risks. If you look at the organizations that thrived during the pandemic, they were playing the most 
Um, and I go back to this Alex Johnson quote that was introduced or Stephen Johnson quote introduced to me by uh, a play mentor, Kevin Carroll. You know, you'll find the future where people are having the most fun. And I that's that. always been true. That's always been true. And that is the basis of play right there. You want to be part of the future and you want your staff to be part of that future, then you should be having fun at work. So I feel like your definition that you just gave, I could give to any C-suite person. They'd be like, yes, I get it. I totally understand. But when the rubber meets the road and you're in the room yep. and you're being a goofball, how have you helped executives get over that hump? Because I feel like there's still so many people who are like, that's silly. It's a waste of time. I can build camaraderie a different way. I can brainstorm a different way. But I agree with you that the times when I look back at my career of my most creative moments are when I was interacting in a different way. It was standing up. Maybe I was having to, you know, fake out a play or something that, that got my creative juices flowing to solve problems a different way. Yeah. Yeah. The way I would approach it first is I hate forced fun. So, you know, if you're like, hey, we're going to do an escape room or we're going to install a slide or some ping pong tables and then everyone's going to get along like you put Janice in a room with <laughs> Timothy, you know, and they, you know, and then they have to escape it. They're not going to be friends after like we need to. So, we, you know, I run away from forced fun, right? Like I, I ran team building events for like a decade for top tech companies. And I realized a lot of times it doesn't it doesn't work right if they're not in the right mindset to begin with. So I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time right? Where you let go of the results, where you're fully in the moment, where you're, where you or your staff is pursuing their zone of genius, right? Pursuing their flow, right? They're falling into flow. So the way I see play a lot of times, it's not something that you just force at a meeting, right? It's more the idea of you build the psychological safety, you build the playground so staff can play when they're ready, right? Not when you're ready or be like, now we're going to have a fun meeting today. No, dude, like that's going to be pain, especially if you never have run a fun meeting. I guarantee you your meeting is going to suck. Like, you know, because you're forcing it. And you're like, everyone's got to be happy with me. And you're like, ew, gross. Right. It's more the idea of going up to your staff and saying, hey, what is the work where you forget about time? What is the work that if I wasn't paying you to do this work, you would still do it just because you love it so much? Maybe it's you doing your podcast, right? Like, what is that creative work? Oh, what percentage of time do you currently do that work? Oh, you only do it 10%? How can we increase it to 15 or 20? That's only like one to two extra hours a day or one to two extra hours a week, mind you, right? But studies show when you allow your staff to pursue their flow, they're 500% more productive, five times more productive with all of their other work because you're providing them the opportunity to do this. And Google did this with you know their 20% rule. They gave their staff 20% of their time to pursue whatever they wanted. They did this early on, right? And what came of that? Google AdSense, Google News, Gmail, Google Earth, like the foundations of Google, right, were built off of play. But 
allowing people to play when they were ready, not when you're ready. And I think that's what I recommend when I say you need to infuse more play into your work. How do you approach a problem? Are you approaching it and allowing people to solve it their way and being creative about it? Or are you forcing them to do it the same way over and over again in that pre-pandemic you know, a uh, fixed mindset sort of way? Or are you allowing them to have that growth mindset? And are you allowing them to fail? Because that's part also of playing, allowing people to fail. As you've thought about, you know, that transition for where you talked about how you were, you know, doing team building for so many years and in juxtaposition to what you do now. How has that changed? So how do you talk to somebody now who's like, hey, Jeff, I'd like you to come in and do a team building activity, right? And and you know now, yeah. like, if the organization hasn't doesn't have psychological safety or they haven't built that up on the team, like, then you're just an activity. You're not actually building yeah. the team. So how have you navigated that with, um, you know, with people who well, are I you? always go straight to the pain point. What are you struggling with, right? Most issues are around communication, right? Most issues are around psychological safety. So I'm like, let's get to that first. What is your goal? What's the feeling you want to walk away from immediately after the workshop? And what's the feeling you want to walk away from three months from now? I just ran a workshop for a hospital um, and it was about difficult conversations. And the whole idea was, you know, Currently, they're not having enough hard conversations in order to build that certain level of psychological safety. How are we going to measure that? We're going to measure over the next three months how many hard conversations are people having. Heck, how many hard conversations are you having in the next week after I run this workshop, right? So a lot of the workshops I now create aren't like, hey, let's just have fun. They're more workshops of like, hey, do you understand who each other are? I was just speaking to a organization in Atlanta I might uh, pitch a program to, and I'm like, how much do you celebrate with each other? And they're like, oh, you know, we give recognition. But I'm like, no, how much do you celebrate yeah. each other's accomplishments, right? How much do you do you know about why each of you work there? You don't need to know everything about somebody, right? Be your full authentic self. I don't think most of the time you can do that, but you can find out why they're there. You know, the, the group I was talking to, they've been working together online for two years, but they don't know each other's why. So no wonder they can't have harder conversations. No wonder they feel a disconnect, even though they're doing all of the proper things, right? Asking the right questions like, do you feel safe? Do you feel like you can speak up? And you're like, yes, I can. But it's still a lot of performing, right? It's still a lot of acting. And that's where a lot of burnout comes from. This uh, this idea that I have to be somebody else, that I have to act a certain way, that I have to be in charge. I'm a manager, so this is how managers speak, and this is what we're going to do today, and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, instead of just being like, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> None of us know what we're doing. Oh, that's great. Now we have a certain level of psychological safety, and we have to be, we can be vulnerable enough to be like, I'm not good at these things. Great. I'm not good at these other things. Why don't we help each other out, right? And and I've been recently talking about this more and more. A lot of pain in workplaces also come from um, hierarchy, from these like, uh, what is it? These invisible hierarchical BS politics, right? Of like, ooh, who should be speaking up and who shouldn't be speaking up? And like, you know, 
when you when you play, you actually level the playing field. And what a manager can do, and I've told this to many managers, is recognize when you're having a difficult conversation with someone to change the power dynamics, right? Don't have it in your office. Actually go walking with – like do other things to change the dynamic so they're willing to talk to you as a human being and not just look at you as like you're going to fire me. So I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear because I recently heard this. This was a while back, you know, but I'm now remembering this study where they were interviewing C-suite executives, right? Like VPs, like, like second or third in command and they were like, how many of you share – your best ideas and they were like 85 percent of them were like i don't wow. because they were so worried about them being stolen so think of it right now most of the products we have are crappy ideas <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have the best ideas of products because they don't want to share it with because there's no trust there yeah right so we have to be looking at that and being like can i have an actual honest clear conversation with my staff where I can reduce the hierarchy so we can talk like human beings, right? And that's even playful how to do that because you're going to make a lot of mistakes as you try to navigate that. But if you're willing to be open to it, then finally you can start building the relationship you've always wanted to build with your staff. I like the example about getting out behind the desk. You know, some of my favorite moments with supervisors in the past have been you know, when they walk out behind their desk and they sit in the chair next to me, they're like, hey, let's go mm -hmm. walk and grab a cup of coffee mm -hmm. or, hey, let's do this meeting. I know that you want to leave the office early. Let's do it from the phone. I'll be on Bluetooth in my yeah. car and like we can just and the creativity of just being in a different environment in itself. Absolutely. For that conversation is fantastic. I was just running a workshop and and we and someone came up with the idea of like we're going to go get ice cream during our next meeting. Great. Getting out of the office, doing something happy. I guarantee you after they have ice cream, so many more ideas. They're going to have so many more <laughs> right. ideas. That's also play as well. Like like flipping the script on how you're working, especially if it's getting very, you know, um repetitive, right? And, you know, and you're, you're just like, you know, like, why do we not look like look forward to Mondays? Because it's not fun. Right. Yeah. So how are you actually bringing some joy and again, also allowing people to be more of themselves, right? Express more of themselves so that it's not so exhausting pretending all the time. So much time we spend pretending and so much of our time we spend trying to navigate the hierarchy that we actually cannot do good work during that time. You talk a lot about uh, positive psychology, right? That's your background. Yeah. And, you know, as we were preparing, and obviously we've talked before, but as I was preparing today, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go on Jeff's website and just refresh, right, for our conversation today. Mm -hmm. And I came across something I hadn't seen before, and I probably missed it. I'm sure it's been up there forever. But Tell me about laughter yoga. I had a great kick out of seeing oh. that certification on your website. And I was like, so many organizations now are doing virtual yoga, right? To yeah. try to build yeah. some camaraderie and mental health. And I was like, I got to ask him about this. What's laughter yoga? Yeah. So the origins of laughter yoga are fascinating. So it was a doctor that found when his patients laughed, they actually healed quicker and left the hospital earlier. Wow. This is in India. So then he started going out to the park 
and then getting people he would tell jokes but he was horrible at telling jokes so after a while like you know people stopped coming to the park <laughs> because they were bad jokes right um but his wife was um a yogi and she was just like well are you also helping them to breathe and he's like what are you talking about and he's like well you have to breathe you know as part of of this process there's breathing and then there's laughter so then together they figured out and started testing it out in India where they would just laugh and pretend laugh and as they pretend laugh actually that sparked real laughter so they would do these breathing exercises and then laugh and then like different and it just became this very playful thing and now there's I don't know over a hundred thousand laughter yoga practitioners around the world maybe more you know 24 hours a day you can log in online and just laugh with other people just type in laughter yoga and it pops up there um but yeah it's this it's fascinating to realize that simply just being in the space surrounded by other laughter you can actually reduce anxiety reduce your stress you know um we talk a lot about in positive psychology about how you know when you receive dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins, you get into flow. Well, people forget endorphins, which is where a lot of laughter comes from, is the is is a painkiller. You literally are are healing people in meetings when you get them to laugh. Now, don't do the if you're not a good stand up comedian, I wouldn't start <laughs> wrecking out some jokes. But this idea of of being able to and willing to laugh with each other um you can tell the psychological safety of a team, of an organization, of like a relationship by simply walking to the office and listening for laughter. You know, that's how you should measure whether or not an organization is doing well or not. How much laughter is actually existing and also allowed in that workplace? Because I say this a lot as well. Play is the opposite of perfection. And perfection is rooted in ego and shame and constantly trying to be right. And play is rooted in curiosity, experimentation, and awe. And so much of our burnout, so much of our pain comes from, again, hierarchy and perfection. This idea that I have to be a perfect person. And I'm like, am I writing, doing it right? Am I not doing it right? And it's just like, instead of allowing for many different opportunities to do it, many different options to get there, rather than you're like, you have to do it this way. And the companies and the organizations, and especially the managers that force perfection, actually burn out their staff the quickest. Speaking of perfection, um, it, I got to give you major kudos. I, I mentioned to somebody, this was over a year ago now, like, hey, you know, we should do a webinar series on Ted Lasso. And then I was mm -hmm. like, Jeff has a podcast about Ted Lasso. I, I want to mm -hmm. talk about that. What would Ted Lasso do? Talk about a great example of somebody who had this view of psychological health and had to like change his perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. What are you uncovering on that podcast for, for those listening who are huge Ted Lasso fans, but also um, understanding kind of the things that you're talking about? Yeah. So it was my friend Dimple Dabalia's idea. And she was just like, oh, you're a playful person. We should do this together. And she had watched the show so many times and I've never watched the show. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. So each episode, I watch it right before 
we record. So I haven't even seen the whole second season, right? So I don't even know what has happened, right? So people are like, you know, so and the so the the show's called What Would Ted Lasso Do? And it's analyzing the show from a positive psychology and leadership development perspective because Dimple and I work with a lot of organizations on leadership development, organizational development as well as, you know, incorporating a lot of positive psychology in it. And what's so fascinating is a lot of the things I spoke about earlier, right? Like the main basis of the show is be curious, you know, and if you're trying to have a hard conversation, you got to be curious. You can't, as I was saying last week uh, at a workshop, you can't win conversation. Stop trying to win. Isn't that weird that we are constantly trying to win conversation? It's like trying to win playground for kids. Like you don't win playground. And most conversations, except for in a court case where you have a ruling, you know, party. But I think we always think we're in a court case and we have to prove to everyone at the meeting. What wouldn't meetings be better if we weren't trying to win? Right. So like this idea of being curious is such a powerful one. You know, this idea of showing up messy a lot of times he shows up messy he doesn't he shows up that he doesn't know what he's doing that he's trying to figure it out right that he cares more about people than he cares about the result that he doesn't care if we're winning or losing at the beginning oh my goodness well you actually eventually will win more when you let go of the result but you got to let go of that perfection right that that he doesn't give up on people, that there are certain people that he continues to show up for even when they're mean to him, right? And he still shows a certain level of understanding um, even when they're like fighting against them, right? Even when they're pushing back and he's willing to forgive. Imagine if we were willing to forgive how much more psychological safety could recreate. And then the other thing, and I'm just putting together this workshop, is um, the title of the workshop I'm putting together is Why Ted Lasso's Masculine and Feminine Leadership Matters. And it's this whole idea that he embraces his divine feminine leadership qualities, right? What are those? Collaboration, play, following his intuition, coaching rather than controlling, right? But he also still shows up with a certain level of masculine leadership traits where he's grounded, right? And he's very clear, you know, about how he communicates to people. So finding that balance, right? You know, and the best example of that I would refer to a Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand prime minister who's, you know, about to step down. But she was able to embrace both compassion, empathy and understanding towards her citizens, as well as like very clear about the lockdown and making sure she was protecting her citizens. And what happened from that lowest COVID rates in the entire world? That's what happens when you embrace both your healthy masculine and your divine feminine. You know, so there's so many lessons that one can learn as a leader if you simply just watch Ted Lasso. Right. I love that. And that's why that's why we have such fun doing this podcast. So just look it up. What would Ted Lasso do? Uh, WWTLDpodcast.com and uh, check it out if you're a huge Ted head. <laughs> you know, it's interesting uh, when you talked about winning, you know, somebody gave my husband this advice in marriage several years ago. And I think it's 
genius and I think it's applicable mm-hmm. to business as well. But when you're having a conversation with someone, especially somebody you care about, right? Coworker, peer, spouse, partner, whatever, and you're thinking about winning, that means the other person's going to be the loser. And that means yes. you're married to a loser, you're working with a loser, Ooh, your boss is a loser. And I was mm. like, oh man, like when you think about it that way, yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't want to be married to a loser. Like that's, that's not the approach I want to take. And so it has really helped us take pauses in our own conversations, both at work and at home and be like, okay, am I trying to win this argument? Or are we trying to yeah. solve a problem? So yeah. really like those examples. I, I mean, that's such a good point because think about it. Even when you win a conversation, you lose Yeah. because that person doesn't hear you right so and what do we want most out of a conversation we want to be heard we want to be understood we want to be seen right like avatar i see you what do you think the other person wants the exact same thing (laughs) right so i put this out there and you know uh, my friend eric bailey wrote like a whole book about this of like you when you go into a conversation you need to know if you're ready or not to go in and if you still want to be right instead of understand you're not ready to go in that conversation just not ready to have it and that's okay but you can't do both you can't be right and understand at the same time right so how are you actually going into that conversation and how are you allowing that person to be heard at the same time that you want to be heard and that is really hard for us to do but the more we do that the more we actually have connection and connection especially in positive psychology the whole point of positive psychology from you know dr marty seligman who found it back in the 70s is that other people matter that's the whole point you know and when you realize that you do better work when you recognize other people matter and you're seeing right now the exact opposite from organizations like Google and other tech companies that are just straight laying people off i mean this is Google, right? I thought y- y'all, you know, <laughs> brag about psychological safety and how you you're at the forefront and one of the best places to work. There are people. If you re- read um, a Business Insider article that just came out, there are people that were there for 17 years, found out via email yeah. that they were getting laid off. Another, other people found out based off their fob, whether they could scan in or they couldn't scan. What what is this high school? Like, what is this? What are we doing here? There was someone that was there at 5 a.m. to do a job and then they couldn't get in. And that's how they found out. Like, you know, like what? Why are we where are we going? You know, like, you know, we're really at a crossroads. I keep saying this in a lot of the workshops whenever I'm traveling around. We're at a crossroads of choosing what type of working world do we want to go into right do we want to go to the antiquated past where we treat people like a number or we finally willing to embrace a level of shared humanity shared compassion and shared empathy but to do that we have to uh push back on that level of treatment of staff i get it you gotta you gotta lay off twelve thousand people i get it that you're worried they'll you know from a law standpoint that they might sabotage but you still can treat them like human beings you can still sit with someone face to face and let them know you know but just like doing it like 
what are you ghosting like this is tinder or bumble like come on now we, we can do better than this we can do better than this i've told people before um in managers i've coached that the the exit experience should be just as good as the entrance experience in an organization yes. if you're doing it correct if you get to that yes. point where you have to have the hard conversation Nobody should be surprised that it's coming. Or if they are right. surprised, there should be grace in giving the message, right? And having right. your ducks in a row. If you are in this situation where you have to lay people off, are you coming at it with compassion in that you have the mm. resources? You have built mm -hmm. in time for them to come back and ask questions. You know, I think if you get anything from this episode, it's people matter. Like you said, like, let's get yeah. back to the core of people mattering and building right. psychological safety and having positive intent um, and using play to be creative, right? Because people matter. And we want to make sure that we're living in environments where people can be their best selves. And I'm, I'm trying to find this. Stripe had to cut 14% of their staff, but the letter that they wrote, the letter that the CEO wrote was really well done because they laid out what was going on, what it was all about the employee, you know, how they were going to address their benefits, how they were going to address their health, how they were going to give them a, a good patches as they're leaving. If they need references, like there's a certain level of compassion. If you want to look at a way in which to lay people off the right way or a, a better way, not the perfect way. But again, it's this idea of showing up messy and being like, we messed up. Yeah. Right. You know, instead of being like, oh, sorry, we hired too many people. So now we got to fire so many people. Did you not think about this when you were hiring? Did you not let people know that this was a possibility? Right. Yeah. And and also, do you not care about loyalty? Right. Like you speak about it and you ask so much of your employees, the fact that they're giving 60, 80 hours a week. I think about that person that was there for 17 years, how many birthdays they missed, how many functions they missed with their family. And then you're going to lay them off via email. Like, come on now. Like, come on. Like that. Not only does that hurt that person, but that hurts your soul. Yeah. You know, that that challenges you is like, do I like me as a person? Do I like me as an individual? You know, and if we're going to be devoting 2000 to 2500 hours a year to an organization, I don't want to have to feel like I'm selling my soul in order to do that. Well, Jeff, thank you as always for such great insight and great conversation. Uh, I will make sure to put a ton of the stuff we talked about in the show notes, a link to the podcast that you do, a link to the Ted Lasso show. If you haven't seen it, it's on Apple. You should definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, if you want, you can check out Jeff's certification on yoga laughter because I think that's freaking amazing. So, Jeff, thanks for taking a few minutes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I will say as you know, as we're logging off to all the listeners, I challenge you to challenge the hierarchy. I challenge you to show up messy and I challenge you to play and just see if your day is better at work because I have a strong feeling it will be. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes and links at thehrmixtape.com. Come back often and please subscribe, rate, and review.